From Connect Booster, I'm Ryan Goodman. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of talking to Brian Weiss, CEO and founder of iTech Solutions, an MSP based in San Luis Obispo, California. This is an insightful conversation as Brian shares how he and his team were able to overcome some major obstacles over the past couple of years and despite all of those challenges, actually strengthen and grow his business. And so it was about a two week remediation. It was about uh, 34 of our clients that got hit. Um, we were able to get all of them recovered except for one that um, we didn't have backups of their backups. So we had to pay the um, Bitcoin for the ransom. All in all is about $500,000 in gross damages. That includes, you know, loss of growth, everything. It was about 250,000 of just hard losses, like money out of the bank. Our whole team came out of it like, you know, in my opinion, rock stars. I couldn't have done it without my team. I mean, they were really there to put in, you know, tons of hours and getting everyone back up and running. And it, it kind of created this PTSD uh, when it comes to security for our team. Here's the podcast with Brian. Hey, Brian, thanks for taking the time out of uh, your busy day. I know prior to us kicking off the recording, we we're both saying, how, how is it Wednesday right now? It feels like you, you, you wake up on Monday and all of a sudden it's, it's Wednesday afternoon. So I, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to, to get together with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome, man. Um, so I am just tear the band-aid off right away. I'm I'm super interested, and I know our our listeners are going to be really interested in digging into um, the hacking incident that you guys had dealt with inside of your business, uh, some of the resulting business changes that that you've gone through um, based on that. But before we get into that, um, I want to I want to ask you a couple other questions um, just to get people to understand a little bit about, about you as a, a person and, and where you came from and how you got to where you're at in business. Are, are you cool with that? Sure. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So a uh, couple of the basics, let's, let's get them out of the way. Um, you can give us a hundred thousand foot view about, about your business and then uh, where people can find you online as well. Sure. So uh, we're an MSP. We currently have uh, 12 employees. Um, servicing about 65 clients across about 2,500 devices. Awesome. And we're in, um, we service San Luis Obispo County in California, which is right on the coast, kind of in between LA and San Francisco, if you're looking at a map. Yeah. And uh, we started in 2005 um, as a break fix uh, company, went to the MSP fixed rate model in 08. Yeah. Um, in, and then fast forward, I mean, a lot of stuff's happened in between then, but fast forward 2018, we had our security incident, which we learned a lot from, and now we're positioned as a security first MSP, where we really look at any technology we work with or implement either internally or with our clients. We're always looking at potential security vulnerabilities around that and, and how we can cover up any security holes. Um, yeah. So, and then, you know, find us online on, on the, the World Wide Web. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's boom, I, boom. Yeah, itech-solutions.com. It's kind of a long domain name. I've been trying to buy itech.com 
um, which is owned by a hockey company and bought by Bauer and then someone else snagged it up before we could get it. But yeah, itech-solutions.com is what I have to say every time I tell someone my email address. <laughs> itech-solutions.com. Here, I'll say it yeah. for you too. Yeah. <laughs> then it's not one-sided. Um, so side question, I am the master of going off into tangents. I apologize in advance, but um, you guys are in the middle of you know, what's, what's going on out on, on the West Coast in terms of fires? How, how has everything been inside of your county? Have you dealt with any client issues or have you been um, removed from, from some of that right now inside of your business? So specifically to do with fires, um, it's ruined some vacations of mine that I had planning for camping. But yeah. we're being so close to the coast and the county we're in, um, luckily, those fires haven't impacted us um, at all. So it's mainly just the smoke that we have to deal with at this yeah. point in time. Um, but we, we have had some smaller fires nearby that, you know, we don't have, the terrain isn't as rugged here as, as sure. it is when you get up into the forests, you know, the national forests. So that usually they can put it out quick enough before it does too much damage. Thing. Sure. Yeah. Sure. That makes sense. We're glad that glad that it hasn't been a, a huge direct direct issue for you for you guys. So you had mentioned that you had changed from the the break fix model over to an MSP in 2008. Did I get that date right? Yep. Yeah. So uh, what what got you started uh, in your business originally? Um, I'll I'll rewind all the way back to high school. I was in right video yeah. games and. Um, at my high school, I was taking some computer classes, but they were all Macs at the time. So I, mm -hmm. I learned Macs and kind of how to work on those, how to fix those. Um, but I also loved gaming, um, which led me into the PC world. And that's kind of what, where I got into networking because, you know, you want to network systems together so you can game. And yeah. We're, back then, we're dealing with uh, the BNC connectors, with the coax, you know, and um, all the troubleshooting that goes along with the, um, you know, a non-IP network that's broadcast. <laughs> so, together the land land party style yep. events, yep. yeah. So you know that kind of early introduction into computers, along with kind of a knack for math and troubleshooting. Mm -hmm. um, I just fell into computers as, hey, why not make this a career? Um, yeah. I worked for a small mom and pop shop, kind of like a computer repair shop right out of high school. Yeah. And got a lot of good hands-on um, experience while going to college and helped the mom and pop shop grow from one to three stores. And we had kind of this residential and business service going on. Right. And I just decided after about three years to go off on my own. I wanted to pursue businesses only um, and just kind of parted ways, started as an independent contractor for a couple of years um, before growing to a size where I needed employees. And that's when I started yeah. in 2005. So the driver was really uh, wanting to focus on that business vertical and, and not work on the residential side? Yeah, I was, by the time I left the, the computer repair shop, you know, I was managing like five other technicians. 
Sure. And, and I saw a conflict of interest when we're servicing both residential and business. We would have situations where a business would be down, not able to operate, yet we can't get to them right away because we've got these other, you know, systems we're working on from residential clients. And so it, it was kind of a, a new direction I wanted to take that company and they wanted to stay in the, in the residential game. Sure. Um, so I, that's when I decided to part ways. I felt like it was hindering my ability and my quality of service yeah. that we were able to, you know, give to clients just because we we're also doing the residential work. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate you um, sharing, sharing that path. I, you know, I find it so interesting how, how many different ways uh, people end up on the, on the back of the lion looking brave and everyone's like, I saw this meme on Facebook the other day where it's like, you, everyone's looking at the entrepreneur on the back of a lion and like, wow, he's so brave. And the entrepreneur on the lion's like, how the heck did I get on the lion? And how do I not fall off and let this thing eat me? You know? Yeah. So there's always those different paths that we all, we all take to land, you know, where we're at right now. That's, that's cool. That's cool. Um, now we're going to, we're going to talk about some, some challenging times, of course, in, inside of your business, but I'm also interested in, you know, what are some of the big uh, uh, milestones and, and success that you got, you have seen inside of your organization over, over your tenure running the organization? So um, I've always been very forward thinking, um, which I think is a, is a good skill to have as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And when we started our business in 05, um, we actually have had a web department as well. Um, so we did web services, web development, and IT. Yeah. And so I saw, you know, staff services being the future, even back then, which is why we wanted to provide those web development services. So that, that was a success, you know, developing a web department, um, you know, building a, a client base, even doing, creating a SaaS product around wow. communication units. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a spin-off company we did. Um, the, I, I ended up selling that actually in 2018 to my business partner. We parted ways. Um, okay. a business partner um, that started with me. Yeah. And he basically took that business and I took the IT business. Yeah. Um, but that was uh, definitely a, um, a learning experience for me. Um, and just understanding that world, the development world, and, and you know, helped me understand too on the IT side where eventually a lot of the technology my clients are using is gonna end up. Yeah. So it really got me into some early thinking about the future and, and where things are going to the point where I even recognized the break-fix model was something that is not gonna, you know, be success as successful as it once was, you know? Yeah. So in 08, um, another kind of, I, I, really these are more like challenges that I've overcome, you know, the recession right. in 08, you know, I'm, I'm a break fix shop. How do I stay alive? And yeah, um, I went to a lot of my clients and, you know, I had a good three years of data at that time, of how we've been servicing our account. Went to the ones that were more proactive. It typically wouldn't just call us when things broke. Sure. And showed them reports of kind of what they've spent with us over the past years. Um, 
you know, came up with a formula of like a per device per user mm -hmm. where it's a fixed rate model. And I said, hey, you know, you're, you're concerned about um, managing expenses during this time, right? Um, I'm one of your vendors. I'm concerned about managing my income and Absolutely. stay alive. Why don't we look at this model where rather than seeing peaks and valleys in your IT expenses, you know, we average it out and create a monthly model where it's recurring and, you know, and you don't have to worry about, you know, getting charged hourly every time you pick up the phone up, you know, right. and it's more of a, I saw it as more of a partnership too, where the client would be more um, reluctant to want to call us anytime something happens or anytime they want guidance because they're not worried about that hour clock starting where they're getting billed. Yeah. So it created a more proactive relationship with our clients having this agreement where they could call us, you know, anytime they needed us. And the other thing I saw too, that was kind of a conflict of interest when I looked at the business model in general, when it comes to IT services, is that when you're on a break fix model and you're billing hourly, there's really no reward for getting things done more efficiently or preventing an issue from happening altogether. Right. And, um, and you run into growth challenges where, you know, when do you hire that next resource that you need or next technician? Because one month on a break fix model, you could be wishing you had two extra techs and the next month, you know, it's crickets and you're wondering why did I hire those two guys? You yeah. know? And so it, it creates a, an easier growth model where you're not having to stack the deck with more clients than you can handle just to guarantee you're going to be able to keep paying the bills. Right? right. And so when you think of, you know, like emergency response time, right? If I've got more clients than I can handle because they're only paying me when they need me, um, you know, in a bunch of emergencies break out, naturally, I'm going to be understaffed. I'm not going to be able to handle all of that. So, you know, I, I, those are other points that I explained to the clients, you know, as I was pitching this, you know, new idea that basically came down to the point of, you know, with, with this new billing model, we're now in a situation where we want to be more efficient and how we deliver our services. I wanna make sure my technicians are trained so they're not spending two hours fixing something that should have only taken one hour. Right. Right. And so they're gonna get a better level of service. Um, I'm gonna be incentivized to wanna provide a better level of service. Whereas on a break fix model, I'm making less money, <laughs> right? If, if my guy can fix something in one hour that would have taken him two hours on yeah. the I would have made more money, you know? Yeah. So that, that was another thing that I felt like, you know, we were somewhat early to the, um, to the curve on, you know, the, the MSP fixed model that really helped us survive the recession. Um, and so we started in 08, getting everyone on these fixed billing models. And when, you know, when 2018 came around, we have, you know, 90% of our clients on this fixed recurring model. Yeah. So we, we, that was one of the things, and I'll get into a lot of other things that helped us really survive that time, um, which I'm happy about. Um, I would say another challenge that I'm still overcoming um, 
but it's something you learn as you grow a business. And it's just the fact that when you start out small or with less staff, naturally everyone's wearing a bunch of hats, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have individual enough employees to just assign individual roles to. Right. So the experience of, of adding employees and delegating and handing you know, off um, roles that I or another employee might normally handle and, and the challenges that come with being able to trust that it's going to get done the right, right. way um, you know, is definitely something that I continue to deal with even now, you know, even at um, 12 employees, I'm still a bottleneck in, in yeah. different certain areas. And so um, th there's that aspect. There's also the aspect of stickiness with the clients. You know, when I started iTech, I was the guy, you know, it was more like it was Brian, not yeah, necessarily sell, selling you, right? Yeah. yeah. And so as I, grew you know you have those clients that are like no we want brian you know where's brian at you know who's this guy and and redeveloping relationships and building that trust with your clients that hey this person can take care of you just as good as i could have right and don't worry if, if something doesn't go the way that you know you didn't want it to go we'll figure out why it happened and prevent it from happening again right right you know, and um so, and for the most part, the clients, our clients understood that, hey, for us to be able to grow and scale and be able to provide them services efficiently, mm -hmm. uh, like I can't be the, the guy all the time. Right. You know? Only so <laughs> much time, only so much Brian, you know? Yeah. So um, those, are, those are challenges that I think any company, uh, but even especially ours, deals with just because it's so heavily relationship-based. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, big, big inflection points. And you're right. I think you called it out on the, the, the service-based business model. Um, it is that relationship sale, right? And so how do you transition out of those, those relationships and you being the guy in those situations? It's, it's a real challenge. It sounds like you guys are, are doing a great job of, of working through that, though, and, and seeing success in it. Yeah, it, it's, it definitely takes perseverance, you know, and, and just, I think, you know, I've, I've had one of my entrepreneurial skills is, you know, well, I don't know if you call it a skill, it could be a negative, you know, it turns into like over perfection, right? But, you know, always feeling like there's a better way to do something and understanding that, hey, you know, we're going to do good today we're going to do better tomorrow right and, and just understanding that um any challenge that comes your way try to turn it into an opportunity to learn from it or do better or you know or come out taking advantage of the challenge somehow you know right yeah i think you're right i mean it's that uh that mindset right it's that mindset that uh uh hi we're all going to deal with challenges. There's no, there's no question, but what are the things that you're going to be able to control? Well, mindset is one of the big ones that, that hopefully you can, you can control at least have a little bit of direction over how, how, how that, that output is, is handled. So oh, that's cool. That's cool.
Hey guys, Ryan here for a quick break from our show. We want to thank Brian Weiss for joining us on today's episode. You can find out more about Brian and iTech Solutions on their company's website, itech-solutions.com. Now, this wouldn't be an ad break without running some ads, right? So I'd like to talk to you about our product, Connect Booster. Connect Booster is the premier accounts receivable management and payment automation tool for the channel. When our partners invoice or bill their clients, Connect Booster automates the payment, automates the accounting, and gives 24-7, 365 visibility to end clients to see current invoices, past invoices, auto pay settings, securely store checking and credit card data, and so much more. We all know it's hard enough to get in the door of a prospect. It's hard enough to close the deal, guys. It shouldn't be hard to accept their money when the sale is made. If your business isn't already one of the thousands that's getting paid faster with Connect Booster, reach out to us at connectbooster.com to learn more about how you can automate your cash flow. Before we get back to the show, we want to let you know all the ways that you can find us online. Visit our website, connectbooster.com slash podcast to listen to new episodes before they air on the podcast network. If you'd rather wait, our episodes are available on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. So search Connect Booster on your favorite platform, subscribe to get notified when there's a new episode. If you have suggestions for future episodes or you want to be a guest on the podcast, email us at podcast at connectbooster.com or send us a message on Facebook or Twitter and we'll point you in the right direction. Lastly, if you like the show, leave us a review wherever you're listening and tell us why you like it. Thanks for listening to the Confessions of an IT Business Owner. We'll get back to the podcast and talk to you soon. I am going to, uh, I'm going to shift gears now. Uh, we had talked a little bit about you know, a security incident early on that had happened in your your company in, in 2018. And um, I'd love to, I, I'm sure it was a very difficult time, but it also sounds like something where you've taken that, you know, we talk about attitude, we talk about how, how, how you react to something that's difficult. Um, it sounds like you've taken some real control in your business and taken a, a very tough situation and come out the other side um, stronger whole new perspective on business, a whole new perspective on security. And so, you know, I'd really, um, I'd really love to, to, to dig into, to what happened and kind of go through that progression. You know, now we're, now we're here talking in 2020. Um, what are you seeing on the other side of, of that incident? Sure. Um, so I'll, I'll explain it, the incident real quick. Um, yeah that maybe haven't heard the story, but um, essentially in March of 2018, we were, um, we had an RMM platform we were using at the time that didn't have um, built-in MFA, required third-party product, and we had been with that RMM for, um, gosh, what, 10 years, and we were kind of looking for something new anyway, so we found a new RMM that did have MFA. Um, we were about halfway... <laughs> in the process of migrating our clients to the new RMM when our old one got hit. And uh, from everything we've looked into, it looks like it was as uh, simple as a phishing email um, mm -hmm. where they got a hold of the credentials, naturally no MFA, got yeah. in. Um, and they, they started Friday night, worked all the way till Monday morning. 
um, basically trying to get into every system they could. The RMU platform um, it didn't have MFA. Also had this cool feature where if you closed out of the remote you know, desktop tool that it comes with, but didn't log the machine off or lock it, it left the user console logged in. So then if you later gained, you know, if you gain access to this RMN, you click a machine and it's logged in, it takes you right to the desktop, you know, in, in a lot of cases, a desktop with, you know, admin access. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that was essentially all they did is they just kept clicking on machines, seeing which ones they could access, you know, and, and had that console access to, and then um, set up their ransomware. Uh, they disabled antivirus, set up ransomware to deploy, looked for any local backups they could essentially delete or, you know, remove. And, and uh, that Monday morning, initially when it happened, I just thought it was another ransomware attack, you know, a new variant out there that's yeah. getting one. And um, I'm sitting here researching online, trying to find other people having this issue. And um, just then, you know, one of my texts comes in and says, hey, I, I noticed a, um, I noticed a pattern here with these clients that got hit. They're all clients that are still on our old RMM. And so that's when we pulled the SQL logs, checked, ex found out exactly what systems they got into and created our, our roadmap for repairing this essentially. Um, yeah. And so it was about a two week remediation. Um, it was about uh, 34 of our clients that got hit. Um, we were able to get all of them recovered except for one that um, we didn't have backups of their backups. So we had to pay the ransomware. Um, sure the, the um, Bitcoin for the ransom. And um, all in all is about $500,000 in gross damages. Wow. Uh, that includes, you know, loss of growth, everything. Um, yeah. It was about 250,000 of just hard losses, like money out of the bank. Yeah. Um, our insurance company, we did have cybersecurity insurance, thankfully covered about 150K of that after okay. fighting tooth and nail with them. Yeah. Um, and we came out, we, our whole team came out of it. Like, you know, in my opinion, rock stars, I couldn't have done it without my team. I mean, they were really there to put in, you know, tons of hours and getting everyone back up and running. Yeah. And it, it kind of created this PTSD, uh, when it comes to security for our team. I can imagine. So, <laughs> I, I spent the next probably nine months to a year after that, just burying my head in security policies and tools and initially wanted to become an MSSP. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, wow, that's like a whole nother echelon of, a, of, you know, IT services. You're competing with these large groups like the Robert Herjavec group. And, you know, you're just, uh, you're putting yourself in an area and, and, and I didn't really want to hire any, um, full-time security professionals either, uh, you know, engineers. So that's a whole nother investment. So I realized we're going to be a security first MSP. Um, it's it kind of how we came out of that. And, and I learned, you know, everything I could about multi-layered security, um, you know, created um, an architecture and a stack that we use internally and for our clients to, you know, cover as many, basis as possible as far as, you know, identity, security, device, network, data. Um, and 
the interesting thing is by that time, you know, we, we were fairly mature as a, you know, MSP mm-hmm. minus the security needs. Right. Um, and we actually went almost two years without taking on any new clients. Um, and I did that primarily because we were focusing on getting our own house in order, number one. Right. And number two, looking at our existing client base um, and getting them in order. Um, what I realized that probably the number one learning um, curve out of this, which I wish I would have known earlier, is that your clients are essentially a shared risk if they have a high risk tolerance, right? And so it's all about the risk tolerance. Like, I feel like a lot of MSPs out there have too high of a risk tolerance. Sure. You know? And making sure you lower that and, and establish, okay, what are you um, able to tolerate or not? And, and then making sure you get clients that are in that same mindset and that are willing to invest in the proper security themselves. Because even if your own house is in order, but you've got clients out there that aren't up to par with security, yeah. you know, they could have an emergency one day that turns into your worst nightmare. And naturally it's gonna be your fault because right. they look to you as the expert. And right. so, um, you know, it, it really started that conversation of, with our existing clients of, hey, let's get you on this technology roadmap with all this added security. And if you can't afford it now, that's fine, but let's at least get you moving towards that route. And then clients that weren't, that didn't see the value or or have that, or had too high of a risk tolerance, we essentially parted ways with. Right. Uh, just because it wasn't worth having them, the stress we went through, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want yeah. to put my team through that again, you know? So, um, I, I, I'm trying to remember your original question. I've been kind of going off on. No, no, you, no, you really that. nailed the, you really nailed the incident. I, I appreciate it. And it sounds like, um, you, I can imagine there were some pretty uncomfortable client conversations that came from that, you know, how, how did you go about navigating that? You, you know, you had 30 or more, you know, was it 30, 34 yeah. clients that, that had an issue like that. Um, what, what was next? What, how yeah. did you, how did you deal with the relationship, you know, with, with those clients? So um, luckily most of them were very long-term clients. So we already had very good relationships established with them but we didn't have any type of incident response plan in place where right. you know, this happened and we went to this document that tells us everything we need to do. So we literally had to put it together on the fly. Yeah. And um, one of the things you know, that we're always, um, we hold as one of our values is integrity you know, and, and, and transparency with our clients. So we didn't hold anything back. You know, we told them exactly what happened um, we told them, you know, we, we showed them <laughs> through the amount of hours that we put in and, and yeah. dedication and getting them back up that, you know, we weren't going to walk away until, you know, we knew this was resolved. Um, you know, we didn't charge them anything for the cleanup, of course. Yeah. We weren't billing them for a, a mistake we made. Right. But um, it really just came down to communication and transparency, you know, because in that situation, the client 
just wants to know you're there for them, right? right. Even if it's your fault. <laughs> right, right, like, right. Uh, you know, I guess who meant, no matter whose fault it is, um, they want to know that they, they know it's not something they can fix. Right. And so their concern is literally like, are you going to be able to clean this up? Or like, am I having to find someone else to clean this up for me? Right. You know? and, and so it was really putting that peace of mind together. Nowadays, it's much easier. I've actually helped um, some now clients. They weren't clients before, but they got hit with ransomware and the insurance companies brought us in. We've got a relationship with uh, insurance companies where we do ransomware cleanups now. And um, it's interesting because there's a whole new process now than there was back in 2018. Now, the first thing you want to do is call your insurance company, immediately get them involved, and let them guide the process. Because they're ultimately going to be the ones to, you know, give fund any damages that you need reimbursement for. So you want to follow everything to the T. And they bring in a cybersecurity firm. They bring in a... Um, a Bitcoin broker, even sure. to handle any potential Bitcoin. Sure. Uh, they bring in a company like us that does kind of the hands-on cleanup. Mm -hmm. uh, they bring in a legal team, and so it's this whole process now that I wish was in place back when this happened because it would have been a lot less stressful for us. Yeah. Um, but definitely, um, you know, that's the other thing that MSP should be doing right now is even if you feel like you're secure and nothing's going to happen, which let's face it, I bet if they spent, you know, a few hours really looking at their setup, they'd be able to find some sort of, some area they can yeah. use. Um, at least get some sort of basic incident response plan, plan down, you know. Good advice. If this happens to us or one of our clients, like who's responsible for doing what? Yeah. And what things are you going to start with? What things are you maybe going to be doing at the same time? Um, calling the insurance company should be number one nowadays. Um, so that was something I wish we would have had that I feel like we could have performed even better. Um, and when we did go back to our clients kind of as a post-mortem after we had everything cleaned up and said, hey, you know, I know this happened. Here are the things we're doing to prevent this from happening again. But we want to learn from our clients too. Like what in your opinion, what could we have done better? Yeah. And, um, and you know, th there were a few clients where we didn't communicate as well as we could have. Sure. You know? And in, in the situation we were, unfortunately, it was kind of squeaky wheel gets the grease as we're juggling everything. So there right. were some non-squeaky wheels, if you will, that said, I would have preferred a more regular follow-up. So now we actually have someone dedicated if anything like this ever happens again there's just a dedicated communications person who deals with the communication between everyone our team our clients insurance company legal team whatever it may be they're like the central hub and point that's awesome um you had mentioned that incident response plan is there is there anywhere that you have uh uh seen now or been exposed to where where people can get an understanding or a good framework or a baseline to start putting that together? So I'm, I'm part of some security groups and we're working on um, putting something MSP facing together. Um, there's a lot of, you'll find boilerplate plans all over the place. You know, 
some of them are like 60 pages long. Mm, yeah, so it's almost. <laughs> um, what I guess my advice there would be definitely follow, you know, like NIST standards. Um, yeah. CIS 1 through 20 um, is a good control set as well. They have CMMC that's um, coming out as well. Anytime you're, you're building a, a response plan or any security policy for that matter, it's really good to use, you know, some sort of set of controls that are standards out there. Right. Um, I will say when it comes to incident response, um, my, I'm of the opinion of less is more. more. So like, you know, a five page incident response plan is probably gonna get used more than a 60 page, sure. right? In the sense that you just glaze over something that's 60 pages long. Right. And so start simple. Don't feel like you have to overthink it or overdo it. Um, and it starts really with, um, in my opinion, signing responsibilities on who's going to be handling what and who's going to be responsible for what. You don't have to get it perfect, but you have to make sure that you don't allow things to fall through the cracks. And that's where the signing responsibilities um, and, and initial immediate actions are, are probably most important. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and I say that too, because kind of back to my point with the insurance company is they will help you guide the process, right? So they're gonna, they've got their own plan in place to try to help you get through this as quickly as possible so that it minimizes any potential damages. Um, so um, I would even go as far as talking with your insurance company, your cybersecurity yeah. insurance, and asking them and saying, hey, what should our incident response plan look like to make sure that we're following the proper steps you would expect us to follow in, you know, in an event like this? Yeah. Um, I'm giving a talk um, next week with, with our local chamber and they're bringing in a cybersecurity um, expert from the lo local forensic lo uh, forensics lab with our county sheriff. And the thing to keep in mind here is that the insurance company is really the savior um, when something like this happens because there is no like catch the criminal and have them pay for damages. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's mitigate, you know, potential damages, you know, try to eliminate or, or, or minimize, I should say. Yeah. Any further potential damage once you realize the incident happened and get things running back to normal and all of those costs ultimately are going to be covered by the insurance company. And so making sure you follow their cue is, is really important. Um, yeah. and, and also making sure you communicate with your clients because you want to avoid any further lawsuits where right. they feel like there's negligence on your part. Right. right. If they can prove or they feel like they're giving that feeling like you're neglecting them or you, or you didn't pay attention to something you should have. Um, you know, then you've got even additional damages. With our clients, all 34 of them, not one of them came after us for damages. Yeah, that's incredible, um, right? Which was one other thing I was, you know, worried about and I was prepared to deal with, but yeah. we lucked out that we handled it in a way where we didn't trigger any clients to, to feel like they needed to do that. When it sounds like, you know, you guys dealing with this head on, you know, following those core values, integrity, having absolute transparency with your client around the incident, um, 
yes, there were some big challenges, but you're, you've come through the other side. I mean, it doesn't sound like you had a lot of breakage from the client side. You had a lot of those, those clients stick with you. And, you know, now we're at a, at a place where you're approaching business a whole, whole new way with yeah. these individuals. So I, I hate, I hate to go out and be like, Oh, net positive. You know, I, it's such a weird thing to say, but at the same time, it's almost like if this wouldn't have happened, how, how would, how would business look like today? It's almost like that hindsight is like, I, I, while it happened, I was telling myself, even though I didn't believe myself, this, I'm going to look back on this and be glad it happened. Yeah. And, um, cause that's what I wanted to make out of it. I wanted to make it turn that challenge into an opportunity. And now I look back and I feel like if it didn't happen, we'd be three to five years behind where we're at sure. easily. And, and just the, um, you know, this was 2018. I, I had just started getting involved in the industry in 2016, believe it or not. That was okay. I haven't really talked about is kind of 2016 is when I started looking at a lot of vendor tools, going sure. to um, events, talking with other MSPs. So I was kind of sharing my story and my growth and learning a lot. But some of those initial relationships I, I made, I used, um, like especially with Datto, I've done a lot with, um, to tell my story. Yeah. You know, I literally went to Datto. I said, hey, I want to tell my story datocon or you know any webinars events like i want to get it out there i want people to know this is happening yeah how can you prevent it right absolutely i went another shift um when that security event happened and it kind of started happening when i got involved with the msp community is that i i, I look at other msps as less as competitors and more as um allies yeah, yeah. Now, because we're really all fighting the same war. I mean, mm -hmm. we're, we're it's, it's it's the information war, right? That yeah. we're in. It's happening quietly behind the scenes that hasn't hit the major news yet. But you know, it's it's these cyber criminals, these um, threat actors that are taking advantage of our small business clients. And what are we doing to protect them, right? Yeah. And ourselves. And so. I, I opened up even more after the security event. There's even some things that you hold back when you're talking in a group with other MSPs that you feel sure. like you don't want to open up. But I was just like, here it is. Yeah. You, know, you can make fun of me for my faults or what I did wrong. I don't care. I'm learning from it. Yeah. You know, I'm here to share everything I've got here to hopefully get you to share too so we can learn yeah. from each other. You know? yeah. um, Absolutely. So. Well, hey, I, I really appreciate the, the transparency today and, you know, talking through the nitty gritty of, of what happened at the same time. I mean, I just listeners are going to benefit from, you know, a lot of the tidbits of information. And, and the reality is um, you need to clean up your house, <laughs> you know, or it's, it's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when and how are you going to respond to a lot of these types of situations, right? So. You know, you need to be insured. Yeah. Multi-factor authentic. You know, just all, all, all of those things as well as uh, uh, just, the, just the, the candid conversation around, around um, you know, how you, how you buckle down and, and then talk to the clients and had 
real world, uncomfortable conversations and, and, and have come through the other side. I think that's, that's super cool too. Yeah. And, and I, I think there's something to be said too about the fact that the landscape is constantly changing, right? So yeah. even if you feel like you have everything in order today, you know, that doesn't mean it shouldn't be revisited in, you know, six months to a year from now to just make sure you didn't miss anything, right? Yeah. Or maybe there's some new uh, vulnerability or a better way to, to set um, access to data, right, than you previously thought. Um, I've learned, I, I still learn a lot. Um, I'm, I consider myself part of the leadership in our industry that's helping kind of set the, the path for, for being a secure MSP. Yeah. But, I never once do, or never do I try to shoot myself in the foot thinking I know it all now. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, I know enough to be good today, but I'm going to be better tomorrow. You know, it's kind of my slogan that I go off of. Yeah. Um, well, that's yeah. your mantra. I mean, you hit it early on. It's that act of ever improving. You know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, uh, you're on a sand hill. If you stop, you're going backwards. So better keep climbing and, and improve that next bit. Yep, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I have, a, I have a, one last question for you that I, that I love to, to ask. Um, you've been in business a long time. And if you could go back and, you know, talk to your younger self of 10, 15 years ago, uh, what, what advice would you give yourself, whether that's personal or, or in business? Um. You know, it's interesting because I, I wish I could be less naive when I was younger, mm -hmm. thinking that I had all the answers. Sure. Um, that was what I felt like, you know, I mean, we're a 15-year-old company now. Um, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking if I would have known some of the things I know now, I could have been, you know, easily double my size, you know, and, and it, and it re really, and I think part of it is just, where we're based too, because we're in a San Luis Obispo County is only 250,000 people. Sure. So we're, we're kind of in our bubble, you know, yeah. and, and we're not in the big city. I'm not seeing these, you know, IT events come through our area that I'm able to go to no problem, you know? So yeah, I, I felt like I was in this bubble of, I know how to do things the right way. And like, I'm the best IT company because of X, Y, Z. Yeah. And, um, and we even developed our own PSA and our own password management system because I had a web department. And, um, sure. It wasn't until 2016 where I actually outgrew our web department. They weren't able to keep up with our requests that I started, I guess, getting myself out of that box yeah. you know, that, that I was trapped in and really looking, realizing we have a great industry, the MSP industry, as, as far as resources for mm -hmm. help us grow our business and be successful. It's a very tight-knit group. It's rare that I see so many competitors in an industry be willing to work with each other and share so much. Agreed. Um, and just the fact there's already so many tools out there that I was thinking in my head, I've been wanting to develop. I just haven't had time yet. And oh, sure. there it is, out of the box. That does yeah. exactly what I want. And, That's cool. Um, so um, from 2016 to 18, I mean, I grew, uh, I was... It just under a million, I grew to 1.8 million, you know, within those oh, wow. years. Just making use of the community, learning what people are doing to help automate things, be more efficient, 
integrating tools, mm -hmm. delegating off of my shoulders. That was the other big thing is not re not realizing I was the bottleneck that I was in my company. There was, it was kind of this ego thing you have to get over. Like, you know, you, you have to blame yourself when something goes wrong and it's because you're the bottleneck, you know, either, either you just deal with that or you figure out how to not be the bottleneck. You yeah. know, so it doesn't happen next time. And um, so definitely kind of thinking outside the box, asking for help, um, understanding that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Um, and and making use of, of the community, I think, I think are the biggest things. And, and then personally, um, definitely wish that I didn't have the ego I had. And it probably sure. goes hand in hand with the being naive. Sure. But just, um, so basically taking the ego out of the equation, meaning don't think more, don't think less of other people because hmm. you feel like they may not be where you're at. Sure. Uh, and being willing to help them. I've helped smaller MSPs than us out. And out of that, I've learned something that they're doing that I didn't even think about, you know, that I could bring to my business, um, awesome. even though I'm, you know, a larger, more mature MSP. Yeah. And so not, I guess not feeling like you have all the answers. Yeah. You know, and, and being willing to, you know, swallow your pride, if you will. You know? Yeah. Um, that's great so advice. That, that's the biggest thing. And, and, and it also really helps people open up to I, I When I'm in certain groups and you can tell there's someone that just feels like they have all the answers and they're doing it this way because of X, Y, Z. And if you're not doing it that way, you're crazy. I, I find that they don't really add to the conversation and almost people all almost tend to shut down because they don't want to be open and be criticized, you know, for, for something. So just, you know, getting rid of that ego is something I wish I would have done a better job of younger. Yeah. And I still have an ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not like the ego goes away once you realize it's there. Okay. You know? Your you're battle, right? Yeah. <laughs> we all have them. <laughs> so. Oh, that's cool. That's, that's great advice. Appreciate you answering the, the question on both those fronts. Well, Brian, thank you for your time today. Again, uh, uh, wrapping up, I know you're a busy guy and and have a lot to attend to, but it, it sure was valuable to uh, not only learn about how you how you started your business and, and got into this industry, but um, also work through some real challenges coming out on the other side. And um, now now in the business of, of not only growing your business, but helping other people, which is really cool. And I, I can imagine that's a feeling. So um, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. You bet, man.